Father, what an um, incredible time of worship that we have had as we gather as your church. And I was just thinking about all the songs that we've shared together and the number of times that we mentioned the name of Jesus. And then to close, talking about the blood of Christ. God, we thank you for your gift of grace, your gift of mercy, your gift of salvation, and the love that you have for us, and to care enough about us to send your son Jesus to this earth to die on the cross so that we can have a relationship with you. Father, I pray that you would meet us in this place, and Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do the work that you set out to do, that you would change our hearts, that you would change our minds, that you would reorient us towards the gospel, towards the truth. I pray, Lord, that um, if, Lord, if we're strained, Lord, that you would come and you would shake us. Holy Spirit, come and bother us, rattle us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good morning. Jonah, the book of Jonah, if you have a Bible, chapter four, verses one through 10. We've gathered again this morning uh, to, to learn more, to go deeper in our walk with Christ. We're on a mission, as I remind you every week, we're on a mission to love God, love others, and serve the world. If you need a Bible, slip a hand up. We've got ushers coming down the aisles. They'd love to get one in your hands that you can use this morning. If you need a Bible at home, please take it home with you. Again, I wanna uh, challenge you guys and, and, and to be here in person on September 12th, 19th, and 26th. Obviously, you're here in person. Those who are joining us online, if you're able, we also encourage you and we invite you to join us in person on those three Sundays because we're gonna talk about gather, grow, go. What does it mean to gather as a church? What does it mean to grow as a disciple? What does it mean to go and be the hands and the feet of Jesus? If you are able, we'd love to have you here. Number one, if you're following along on version or on the paper copy, God's message, it's verses one through three, <clears throat> Jonah chapter four, this is what it says. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. How many times did the word of the Lord come to Jonah? The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Two times, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. This was the second time that God said to Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh. The first time he said, this is what he said the first time to Jonah, he said, go and preach against it. And the second time God says, go and proclaim to it the message that I give you. There's a difference. So, so the one who ran from God as fast as he could in the opposite direction has been given a second chance. I, I think it'd be easy to miss the fact that, that second chances are not offered by everyone. There are many people, once they have been wronged, will have nothing to do with the person that has wronged them. They won't talk to them, they won't look at them. They'll block them on Facebook, erase them from their contact list. 
Imagine for just a second, I know this is kind of crazy, but imagine for a second, because this is the world we live in, if you were friends with God on Facebook, what if every time you offended him, he unfriended you or he blocked you? How many of us would still be friends with God? Well, if you're having a hard time answering that question, I'll answer it for you. None of us. Can you even imagine? Friends, don't ever forget that God, in the same way he comes back to Jonah, he comes back to you and to me time and time again. There are some of you here this morning right now and some of you that are joining us online right now that have never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And and, and here he is again this morning and the scripture tells us, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And here he is again, another chance that he's knocking on the door of your heart. And the scripture says that if you open the door, he'll come in. You'll have relationship with him. A second chance, another chance. And there are some of you here this morning right now that maybe have strayed, that are out of fellowship with God, that have broken fellowship with God. And there he is again, another chance, standing with with arms open wide, welcoming you home. God comes to Jonah and says, let's try this again. Go to the great city of, and what is Jonah doing at this point? He's saying, please, 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 God, don't say Nineveh. Anywhere but Nineveh. And God says, Nineveh. Because we remember what Jonah said in the fish, what I have vowed to you, I will make good. So God's invitation wasn't one that said, hey, when you're ready or when you feel like it, God said to Jonah, that's what he said, he said, go. And and the idea behind that word is this, go now. Often when God invites you to join him, when he taps you on the shoulder and he says, hey, I want you to join me on mission here, it's an invitation for right now. It's not a, hey, I'm thinking about inviting you next week or next month or next year. I'm thinking about doing this. Usually when God is stirring in you, it's an indicator that he's doing something now. Remember, you cannot stay where you are and go with him. Is God inviting you right now to join him? What does that even look like? Well, well, maybe he's inviting you to reach out to someone. Maybe he's inviting you to apologize to someone. Maybe to help someone. Maybe, maybe he's inviting you to repent of something. We talked about that last week. Maybe to make something right. Whatever it is, the idea here is don't wait. Why was Jonah so reluctant to go to Nineveh? I mean, it can't be that bad, right? The truth is the people of Nineveh were as wicked as all get out. If you could imagine the most vile and wicked thing you've ever heard or seen, times it times 10, and that would be the nicest people in Nineveh, really. In fact, if I were to describe just a tinge of their wickedness and evilness, It'd be one of the most horrendous things you've ever heard. Jonah was not at all convinced that they deserve any amount of God's mercy. That was the trouble here. Plus, who wouldn't be just a little bit terrified? Who wouldn't be scared to death taking a message of repentance to a city of evil? Keep in mind that Jonah was a prophet in Israel. So we have to understand who he is. 
and where he normally served. In comparison to Nineveh, man, Israel was a plush place to preach and teach. It was a plush place to suffer for the Lord. It'd be like me saying, well, God's calling me to Hawaii, right? But God's hand was upon him and the, and the messages were often received because the people knew that God had called him and they wanted to hear from God. And when he was in Israel and he was a prophet, he would speak messages and people wanted to hear from God. Not always, but sometimes. But now Nineveh, much different place than Israel, a place that was so wrapped up in their evil and wickedness, they couldn't be any further and more opposed to God and all that he stood for. Listen as I read from the prophet Nahum. He writes about the city of Nineveh, and this will just give you a taste of the city. And in the book of Nahum, chapter three, it begins with woe to Nineveh. Listen, woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims, the crack of whips, the clatter of wheels, galloping horses, jolting chariots, charging cavalry, flashing swords and glittering spears, many casualties, piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over their corpses, all because of the wanton lust of a prostitute, alluring the mistress of sorceries, who enslaved nations by her prostitution and peoples by her witchcraft. I am against you. This is God saying to Nineveh, I'm against you, declares the Lord Almighty. I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. I will pelt you with filth. I will treat you with contempt and make you a spectacle. All who see you will flee from you and say, Nineveh is in ruins. Who will mourn for her? Where can I find anyone to comfort you? Anybody looking for a great vacation spot? That's what God says to Nineveh through the prophet of Nahum. And now he's saying to Jonah, I want you to go there. Well, no wonder he's a little bit hesitant. Think of it like this. God calls a Jew to go to Germany in 1940 to preach against the Nazis. Now you get the picture. Our lives are like a little Etch-a-Sketch. Do you remember those things? Some of you won't remember those, but you remember Etch-a-Sketches? The two knobs, you could draw these little lines uh, and then make these pictures on there. And if you mess with them enough, it's kind of this mumble jumble kind of thing. I think I saw some of them being used on the sidelines at the last Vikings preseason game. <laughs> they were kind of, they were drawing up plays and stuff. And Anyway, you could just shake them if you remember them and, and, and then you, they would erase them and, and start completely all over again. We, sometimes we treat life a little bit like an etch-a-sketch, drawing pictures of our life, writing out our plans, this is where we're gonna go, this is what we're gonna do, and before we know it, the etch-a-sketch is just this huge, mumbled up mess, making no sense, and God says literally to us, give me that, and he shakes it and he clears the screen, that's called grace. That's called second chance. And Jonah was fully aware of a second chance. Verse three goes on, it says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, here it is, eight words, 
40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So this time, Jonah complies, and we know that Nineveh was, and I guess we would say a, a kind of a gigantic city in a sense, and it would take days to walk through it, and he's one day into the city, and bam, Jonah pulls out his notes and preaches an eight-word sermon. And right now, you're thinking, wouldn't that be nice, right? This has to be the shortest and the most bizarre sermon ever. If Jonah were to speak this sermon in front of a, a, a seminary preaching class, he would be greatly critiqued and ridiculed because, because there's no hook to grab the audience. There's no three points. There's no conclusion. This can't be trustworthy. But there was none of that. Get this. In an eight-word sermon, there was no mention of what they were doing wrong. No mention of how they're supposed to respond. No mention of who would overthrow them. And get this, no mention of God. Was Jonah intentionally, was he short for some reason? Maybe he was hoping it would be this self-fulfilling prophecy and by being so vague, his hope of Nineveh would be destroyed after all. And it would come true. But let's not forget that the words that he spoke, word for word, exactly what God told him to speak. It said in verse two, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. We've learned a bit about Nineveh. So why would God call it the great city of Nineveh? It was great because of its influence, because of its power. It was this cultural epicenter. Uh, Nineveh was about 120,000 people surrounded by a seven and a half mile long wall that surrounded it. It's kind of this fortress. But this time Jonah obeyed and he did exactly what God asked him to do. Last time he did not, right? There have been times when we, me, I, we have not listened to God. And it's a great reminder that this time we can say yes to God. Whatever you're asking me to do, God, the answer is yes. For Jonah to listen and obey God this time, if you remember, he has to release these worthless idols that he's clinging to. He had to untie himself from the very things that were keeping him from obeying. Again, could it be that his biggest idol was self-will? We say to ourselves, I'm, I am comfortable. We say to ourselves, I am secure. We say to ourselves, I'm content. Is there something that we are holding on to or hitched to that is keeping you from going with God. It also reminds me in this way that God, just tell me, show me what you want me to do. And we say, well, I, I know there won't be a burning bush or I know that there won't be a fleece like in the Old Testament, but, 
literally sometimes, could it be a license plate that I see or, or, or could it be a butterfly? Could that be a sign? And we commit to following God, but we say to God, I just, I just have to know. You just have to show me. And yet, God has spoken to us so directly in scripture about several things. And we say, no, thank you. We've learned to hear what we want to hear and miss what we don't want to hear. It's called selective hearing. Did you know, did you know that there's actually a diagnosis for selective hearing? I didn't know that till this week. And this is, I'm, I'm not kidding here. It's called selective auditory attention disorder. So men, this would be a good time to self-diagnose, right? right. It's a real thing. Ladies, be gentle with us. It's true. And it goes on in verse four and it says, Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And with each step, my guess is that Jonah was thinking to himself, I am headed to a city that I despise, to a people I hate, so I can preach an eight word sermon and be killed. That had to be going through his head. There have been other contemporary stories of uh, people being swallowed by whales. I, last week, two of you told me stories, and someone was telling me last week when they rescued this man that had been swallowed by a well, that his skin had actually been stained by the stomach acid. And the point is, Jonah was not going to be able to just sneak into Nineveh and quietly proclaim God's message. No, he was going to stand out in every single way possible. And I wonder if Jonah was second-guessing the message. Would you? Was he second-guessing the message that he would actually preach? Maybe rather than preach the unpopular message that God gave him, maybe he would pull out his five ways to have a happy life message. Step one, don't be mean, right? But I want you to hear something. And this is gross, but I want you to hear it. When you're driving a stake through a man's tongue into the ground in the middle of the desert so he'll starve to death, stop it. Don't be mean. It's true. But instead he enters the city, probably scared to death, steps up to the, the pulpit, so to speak, doesn't even open with prayer and says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. It was short, it was offensive, it was not a feel-good message. Here's something really cool. The word overthrown has two meanings. It can mean both overturned and destroyed, and also overturned and changed. So Jonah's message had options because of one word. Either you'll be destroyed or you will be changed. And the deciding factor is how you respond. The 40 days is a great reminder that there's a sunset clause on God's mercy. And maybe you're thinking, well, I thought God's mercy never runs out. 
Listen, listen to this though. We only have the time we have on this earth to respond to his mercy. One day, the day that you take your final breath on this earth, time will run out. And the most troubling thought is we don't know the day or the hour when, when our 40 days is up. Some of you might be on day 10, some of you might be on day 23, some of you might be on day 39, only God knows. Secondly, God's invitation, verses five through nine, just starting with verse five. The Ninevites believed God, a fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. What happened when he preached? They didn't believe him. They believed God. And we say, wait, what? I want you to maybe think of it in a contemporary sense like this. That would be like all of Hollywood hearing the same message at, at once and everyone believing and turning their lives over to Jesus in an instant. They put on this itchy burlap sackcloth as a reminder of their unworthiness and as a physical reminder of their sin. And then it goes on in verse six, when, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself in sackcloth and sat down in the dust. So, so for a king to leave his throne during the middle of the day, it would scream to everyone who could see it, repentance. And this is huge because no one would ever see the king in less than royal clothes. And what he does, he strips himself of royalty, puts on sackcloth, sits down in the dust, basically saying, this is what he was saying, I am unworthy, I am a sinner, I'm in need of forgiveness, top down. In verse seven, this is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. So don't let any man, or for that matter, don't let any animal eat or drink. We're all going to fast, even the animals. No one's exempt. Even the animals will fast. And it goes on, verse eight. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let everyone call out to God from the deepest part of their soul in humility and repentance. It may have been received like this. Let us all stop doing what we've been doing and change our ways and let's start doing what God calls us to do. Verse nine, who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Who knows? And who knows, maybe God will not, maybe he will not hold our sins against us. Maybe he will give us a second chance. The sermon may have been brief, but the impact was huge. Speaking of huge, it would have been, it'd be a huge miss if I didn't apply this personally and if I didn't apply it to all of us. 
the truth is that there are many layers to this passage. The last few weeks, I've been doing something called guided prayer. Um, and I'm not quite done yet, I'm almost done, but I'm wondering if we could just pause, hit the pause button for a second. And I'm wondering if I could walk you through a prayer in the quietness of your, of your heart. And if you could just pause and find yourself, just you and God. And I'll just, I'm just gonna say a line and then maybe you just take a minute and ponder it and respond to it accordingly. Even if you are a believer, though you have been saved and are a new creation, there's still, there's still a little bit of Jonah in us that peeks through and it shows up of our idol of self-will. There's also a little bit of Nineveh in us that peeks through when we seek the pleasure of the flesh and participate in the evilness of the world. Our response may sound something like this, just you and God. Dear God, there are times when I am self-centered and care only about me. There are times when I am selfish and I have to have it my way. There are times when I'm not fully satisfied in you alone. There are times when my flesh craves pleasure and I give in. There are times when I know what your word says and I ignore it. There are times when I would be embarrassed if you returned. I'm calling urgently on you. Forgive me. Have mercy on me. Thirdly, God's compassion, verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. So in verse 1, God showed Jonah grace and mercy. In verse 10, God shows grace and mercy to the city of Nineveh, a city of people who are about as far away, as far gone, so to speak, from God as you could possibly get. If you want to read about the future of Nineveh, you would find that their repentance didn't last long. It's not about tomorrow, it's not about next week, it's about now. It's about turning away and turning to God. When God saw what they had done, he did what? It says that he showed compassion on them. 
There are so many takeaways, friends. But one of the main takeaways is this. Receive God's compassion today. I want to leave you with one thing. It's actually James 1, 22 through 25. And I love how Eugene Peterson uh, rephrases this. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you are a listener when you're anything but. Letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Act, act on what you hear. Those who hear and don't act are like those who glance in the mirror, walk away, and two minutes later have no idea who they are or what they look like. But whoever catches a glimpse of the revealed counsel of God, the free life, even out of the corner of his eye and sticks with it, is no distracted scatterbrain, but a man or a woman of action. That person will find delight and affirmation in the action. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, as we close the service in worship, I pray that we would continue in the attitude of prayer. Um, it was an eight word sermon. And Lord, I pray that those words would wrestle in our own hearts. Lord, that we would be awakened to any distance that we have with you in any way that we have broken fellowship with you. God, would you continue to draw those who are here that don't know you? Reveal yourself to them. May they respond to your love, your mercy, and your grace. May they surrender their life today to you. In Jesus' name, amen.